When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Son of Slovenia, cool as hell He scores the ball and he rebounds well Don't fight the future, here comes Luca Welcome to 77 Minutes, a Dallas Mavericks podcast, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The only Mavericks podcast that asked the hard questions. Like, would Scott Foster have refereed a better game that we just saw? It's a Tim and Austin episode. Uh, Tim Cato with The Athletic, Austin Guria, known for the 77 Minutes pod. And we're coming to you after the Mavericks 111-101 win in Game 4. That ties this series at two, sends it back to Phoenix with intrigue, with interest. I, I think, you know, as you see from the, the minutes on this episode, it's going to be a longer episode. We haven't even recorded this episode. I am predicting it's going to be a longer episode. There's a lot to get through. But I just want to go to you, Austin, as the resident uh, fan of this podcast, the guy who can still embrace the emotional side of this series, of this team, of everything they've done. How are you feeling after game four? Do you think Luka Doncic sent Kane Fitzgerald a, a gift basket before this game? <sighs> like, what would be in the gift basket? Do you think he took him to dinner? Like, he just, little wine and dined him, you brought him like a... I think he made him, so you know in high school, you made, you burnt CDs... For girls, you remember doing that? Yeah, I do remember that. He did it, but it was all his favorite Slovenian songs. What, whatever he did, Kane Fitzgerald came through for Luka Doncic tonight. I, I, I don't know what happened. I don't know what, what what he did to mend that relationship. I don't know if he like raised a boombox over his head outside Kane Fitzgerald's like window, but <laughs> like it, his hotel window. His hotel window. Just... Kane Fitzgerald's probably staying on like the twenty third floor at like the W, and yeah. and Luka's just outside, He's just outside, just play, playing his favorite throwing song. Throwing pebbles twenty three floors up. They were zero and four in playoff games that Kane Fitzgerald had had refereed. In the playoffs, and this is the first game they won, and they won, they won on their own accord, right? But it was a very oddly officiated game, which is following honestly a trend throughout these NBA playoffs where there are a lot where the referees are much more featured than they should be. It, I, I, w- I want to talk about that. I want to talk about that a little bit later. Okay, we we can get to that later. Yeah, we, yeah. We're, we're gonna we're gonna work our way towards that. Um, what does it feel like? To be a Mavericks fan, to watch these Mavericks win two games convincingly from pretty much like eight minutes in the first quarter to the rest of the game, to the buzzer, they led in both games three and four. It's This is the best team in the NBA they're playing. And I'm not saying that it was without, um, you know, nervousness and nerviness, but 
the Mavericks were just the better team for two straight games against the league's best team. They didn't even have to play a clutch game. And you yeah. know what? Jason Kidd has coached an incredible series. I don't know what... I, I need to really dig deep into what he's doing from an adjustment level. We'll, we'll talk about that a little bit. But whatever whatever minor adjustments, they're making very small counters to their typical offense and their sets and their spam pick and rolls and their spacing to allow them to have good looks. And their defensive adjustments have been great to limit CP3's effectiveness, to limit... I mean, Devin Booker had a good game today, and I think that he got loose a little bit. But he, they've limited Aiden. Aiden. He didn't get loose, though. He, he didn't get, yeah. He didn't exactly, hit, yeah, right? He, he hit hard shots. Yeah, he played well despite the fact that there was no looseness provided to him. Yeah, he, he they, there was a small sport of the game where they got to the rim and they got layups at the rim where I thought they played bad defense for about maybe, I don't know, five to seven minutes of this game. But overall, they have limited their effectiveness on the offensive end, and they've made it very hard, very challenging. All their shots at the rim from their bigs have been challenged. Aiton is, is, strugg- is a great finisher, and he is struggling to finish. Even Jalen Giddy has been struggling to finish at the rim. Chris Paul has – they're just flustering him. He's played two of the worst playoff games of his entire career in the last two games. And part of it, some, some of the stuff they're doing, part of it is him – overreacting and playing poorly on his on his own accord but the last two games what it has told me is that Jason Kidd and this coaching staff have this team in a great position to play high quality basketball and they're playing they're playing Maverick basketball in these last two games and I think in the first two games they were playing the Sun style of basketball and they're dictating the terms of engagement which I did not think they were really going to be able to do against the Phoenix Suns. Yeah, I wrote about that. I wrote about the Mavericks playing Mavericks ball and making the Suns play Mavericks ball uh, after game three. Uh, if anyone is not a subscriber but would like to be to The Athletic, uh, theathletic.com slash 77 minutes in heaven. Uh, we'll get you a nice little discount code if you uh, just hop over to that URL. Is there a discount code? I, like, I think, right, my, there I think is. my subscription is about to renew. Uh, can, I, can I cash in on it's a for new renewal? subscribers only. Um. But I would recommend it, and no bias whatsoever here. I, I think I think it's uh it's awfully impressive. It's 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 genuinely so impressive what the Mavericks are doing. They can look like, and I don't think I'm being I don't think I'm exaggerating. They can look like the league's best team. The Mavericks can when everybody's hitting threes, specifically when the role players are hitting threes. You know, Luca was one of ten. When the role players hit threes, this team has stretches in games where I ask myself who can beat them. And and that's like that's an insane thing to say. That's an insane thing to think. Uh but I think I think it's true. They don't always look like that. It, it is predicated on hitting 23s like they like they did in game 4. But it, it's it's remarkable how good they can look how you know how, you know is that exactly what we were saying? Like making the Suns play their way. It's remarkable. You know, I think Maxi Kleber has made himself a lot. We talk about Jalen Brunson making himself a lot of money this free agency. Maxi Kleber is going into a contract year, and in two straight series now, he's played against Rudy Gobert and DeAndre Ayton, and I think you could say that he's played them both to a draw, and that he has affected them as much as they have affected him, and his ability to hit threes 
and to knock them down at a high clip and to scare their bigs and even their other larger wing players into guarding him at the three-point line. And also a really, really nice adjustment they've made is a couple of times in the last two games is that he's done a very nice little duck-in on Chris Paul. They've where, where Luka Gratz gets the switch on Aiton, and instead of just shooting a step-back three or trying to force his way to the rim, Maxi cuts to the rim and seals his guy and gets a layup. Because just getting to the rim, sealing, and getting a layup, that's all you have to do as a big man. As long as you punish somebody for being big one or two times a game, that is all you need to do to classify yourself as a big man. And he's also protecting the rim on the other end and drawing out their wing players. What he's doing for them on the offensive end and on the defensive end is so valuable that I don't really know how to calculate from a contract standpoint. I mean, he's playing bigger than Aiton is right yeah, now. He is. He's playing. He's just. He's playing him to a draw. And DeAndre Ayton, I think, is honestly incredible. He's, I would love to have DeAndre Ayton on the Mavericks team. I think he's one of the best big men in basketball. And Maxi is just playing him to a draw. And like that, the Suns can't afford that. They can't afford for DeAndre Ayton and Max Kluber to just cancel each other out. How do you feel about the sustainability of the Mavericks? The way they won this game. Uh, how do you feel about sustainability in terms of hitting? You know, they hit twenty threes. That's a lot of threes. They're, they're not going to get. I don't even want to say they're not going to get a shooting performance like this again. 20 of 44, 45% is not, you know, it's not something that's astronomical. It's not uh, unrepeatable. It's it's not a one-time-in-a-series thing. You're not going to get that every game in a series, but you can get a 20 of 44 again. I, I think, here, let me, I, so so what the what's confusing me about the way the Suns are playing right now is that the first couple games... I thought that they dared Luca to score to a degree. Yeah. That they, you know, understood that he can get 45 and they can still win, like we saw in game one. And so, you know, drop coverage isn't working. You can't have Aiton hang back because Luca, within the first couple minutes, hits two floaters against it. So they started switching and they had bad defenders on Luca, understanding Luca's going to drive past them. And they pack the paint really aggressively, really hard, um, to the point that they kept giving up threes. And I, I guess I just, I, I'm not sure that's the right approach. I, I, think, I think it makes more sense for Phoenix to stay home a little bit more on the shooters and to let Lucas score 50 and to use that to, you know, hopefully have Luca tire out as the game goes along. And they're not doing that. And they did it They did it the first two games. And I'm confused a little bit why that's not their approach anymore. No, I'm also confused at that as well. Because I thought Monty Williams had a great strategy in the first right. two games. And I thought and actually, he confirmed that. He's like, that's what we want. That he doesn't have assist numbers. M- Monty, Monty said they needed to pack the paint. He, I believe he said this after game three. Mm-hmm. Uh, that they really needed to tighten their defensive structure when Luka was posting up. Yeah. I felt like they overreacted Same. overall to that. I think they're overreacting because they don't have anybody who can guard Luka in the post. When Luka gets the ball in the post, Mikhail Bridges, in trouble. Chris Paul, in trouble. Devin Booker, in trouble. They, they don't have an option. Honestly, Jake Crowder might be their only like semi-credible option to guard Luka in the post. They don't have a guy. like It's, it's funny because the Clippers had so many guys who, could guard, who were strong enough to guard Luka in the post where he couldn't just bully somebody. And the Clippers don't have that specific defender. 
And I think it's really cratered their defensive scheme because in the first two games, it wasn't that Dorian was shooting bad. He wasn't even getting open looks. Like, he just didn't get shots in the first two games. And I thought that was a, indi- I thought that was a bad indicator for the Maverick offense. If Dorian's not getting right. open threes, then the Maverick offense is generally not going to be running well. And now that he's getting open threes, it's not that I think that this is sustainable, but Dorian and Bertans hit 12 threes combined in this game and Luca went one of ten. Very very shades of Jason Terry and Peja. Yeah. Very honestly it was everyone was seeing the exact parallels to Peja and, and Jet. And it's not that I think they can keep hitting twenty threes. I think that the threes can come from different sources. So like Luke is probably not going to shoot one of ten again. I think Jen will hit more threes. Bullock will probably get more threes in the next game. And even Maxi will have more I think Maxi was a little gun shy today too, but it was just that Dorian hit so many threes and Bertons hit so many threes that they just, the math carried them for a lot of the game. Yeah, I mean, they don't have anyone to guard Luca, but it, and, and so they, this is how they responded by packing the paint more. But it didn't feel like that's the reason Luca shot nine of twenty-five. No, he just shot and, bad. Yeah, and he obviously, was, like one one of ten on on threes. That that has nothing to do with any like. No, Luca's threes are fully dependent on himself. Yeah, like, it's it's wild. That's true, but but I I do believe that's true. They would have gotten blown instances. out had had Luca just had a normal shooting game. I think that was Luca's. That was honestly from like a shot making standpoint. That is maybe the worst playoff game that I've seen Luca play where he wasn't hampered by a specific injury. Right, and that his. His shot making was bad, and his like dis- and his shot decision making was also not great. And they won, and they, were, they won by double digits, and it was not a really a close game for the majority of the game. So I think that's also have to concern the Suns because his shot making is going to correct. That's one thing that I'm like, I know that that's going to swing the other way, and there are a few other factors that are going to swing negatively against the Mavs. But Luca's not going to shoot that poorly. For the remainder of the series, yeah. So let me let me kind of walk through the the you know things that lead to the next things. So if you let Luca try to score, he he legitimately might drop fifty five on you. But if that in turn tires him out, like the Mavericks, the Mavericks did a good job getting Luca onto Cam Johnson, Johnson especially, yeah. and and Aiton, um, you know, per some second second spectrum numbers. Uh, each of them allowed uh, nine drives uh, in this game. So, you know, 18 total. Uh, that's, like, they did a good job isolating on those two guys. Johnson cannot defend. So, like, that's 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 some, definitely he, something they've recognized. He can defend other smaller ancillary guys. He can't defend Luka Doncic. Right, right. He's not a bad defender, but yeah. he's not a good man defender against these type guards. Yeah. Um, so, you, I think at some point, Phoenix just has to accept that. And, you know, it's kind of what we were talking about coming into the series of, like, should they even use bridges on Luka because Luka's semi-unguardable? Uh, it's, it's, it's shades of that conversation. So, so if you let Luka score, again, he's going to put up gaudy stats, like, stat numbers against you. But it might tire him out. It's, it's not even, you know, I don't want to totally rehash that very weird conversation about Game 2 and, and all that stuff. Um, but, you know, he's not... It, it, it takes effort. It takes effort. It's like to back someone down in the post. Like you can't quantify it, but it, it is something that wears you out to an extent. I honestly, I think it's actually less energy um, producing for him to just have post possessions. You might be right. Than actually. for him to run four or five screens in a row on a possession. Yeah. Break down a defender. What the way that he blows by defenders 
is very energy consuming. And I've always thought this about his game, regardless of regular season or playoffs. But I think his game and the way that he gets by defenders, I think is very energy consuming and also is also time consuming for the clock and for the players. And I think him just posting up, especially if he has good matchups, is much easier for him and much more conducive for the offense because the Suns will have to double or they're going to have to sink in and the rotations are not the same on a post-up. When your point guard can post you up and you're playing five out, no one else is doing that in the league. No one else is posting up their point guard and then you got to worry about all ancillary shooters and other playmakers on the court and you're inverting your offense. And it honestly, yeah. it makes me think about what that series last year would have been like had the Clippers had Kawhi Leonard and they played the Suns and they had to play against Kawhi Leonard in the post and deal with that while they're playing five out because they didn't get really challenged with that last season. This is the first time they've really dealt with this level of five out basketball and a primary post player who can score pass and and destroy you from that, right, from right, that right. Or, or depending on the defender you put on him and he's like, oh, I don't like this post matchup. Let me just pull him out to the perimeter. Yeah, and I can just blow by you. Yeah. So let's say the Suns can, like, went to the strategy and they say, Luca, you go for whatever number you want to put up, but we're going to stay home way more on shooters than, than they did. Let's say, and again, like, I'm, I'm just kind of like game theory, like, like plotting this out. You know, if he's, a, if he's more tired in the second half, what they would do, obviously, is what they did in game two. They would try to isolate him, they would try to get him on switches. Right now, the Mavericks are not conceding that Doncic switch at all. Yeah. And, and the reason they're doing it is because they can show and recover and someone like DeAndre Ayton, like we referenced earlier, is not playing big. You know, I thought, I want to say there's was, there was one for sure. There's one instance where he got uh, Brunson pinned under the post and got a layup. He has to be doing that over and over and over again. Uh, and he's not. And, you know, he's he's also missing just just kind of like mid-range shots. It's, it's funny, like, you know, he was... He was seven of twelve. I thought those five, like he could have been twelve. Seven of twelve. That yeah. he not, I felt like he missed so many like right. little shots. No, I did too. I did too. And and I think those five misses, like he was not taking terribly difficult shots by his standards. Um, but it's the same strategy they use with Gobert. And coming into the series, we said Aiton is going to be completely different than Gobert. Aiton is somebody that you know you can't you know you can't blitz a pick and roll or, or not even blitz. Like they're just showing. They're showing and recovering on these pick and rolls to prevent Luca from getting switched into isolation. But right now that's not happening. Mikel Bridges is another guy who I think offensively has been pretty disappointing. You know, he is not, he's not hitting mid range stuff. I can, I can, I can explain the Mikel Bridges one. All right, let's he, hear it. He's gotten put in Luca jail. The dude is getting just bullied off, <laughs> off the ball in the post. It's hard. That's why you move him off Luca though. No, but Luca is, is finding him. And posting him up. Wait, if he's on Luca, he's posting him up. If he's on Bridge, if he's on Brunson, I don't know if Luca's seeking him out. He's like, not seeking just, him he's out. He's just the primary defender. But, he's, most but times. he's using his body on him, and he's wearing him. Like Luca's so strong, yeah, that he's wearing him out. And then if he's not on Luca, Brunson is also not scared of him. And there's like you know a somewhat psychological aspect. Of like you're playing someone that you know really well. They both sure, know it. Sure, sure. They played in college together for two years, and they. They've played a lot of basketball together. And I think for Bridges, he has not been taxed to this level in any playoff series in his career. He's never played anybody that's this physical. If you think about every playoffs, he's, this is the only second year he's been in the playoffs. 
So last season he played against the Jazz. Nobody on the Jazz that was going to tax him this level. Nobody on the Clippers. Paul George is good, and they have good players in the Clippers, but not physically taxing. Just more you have to defend. And against the Bucks, like he wasn't guarding Giannis. If he was guarding Giannis, I think it would have been taxing okay. for him. Okay. And this is the most taxing a series he's ever had as a defender, and it's affecting his shots. And he's not getting. He's not getting great shots either. He's not. He's getting hard. Like you shoot a contested runner, you shoot a contested floater, you shoot an open three, but someone's flying at you, and he's not getting. He hasn't been able to get into like an, an easy rhythm. He hasn't gotten run. He usually gets a lot of run out like layups, dunks. They get a lot of stuff in transition, and that's what Dallas really does to you as a team. Is that you don't get to get the easy nice shots that you get playing other teams where you get stuff in transition, get open threes, and get into a rhythm and feel comfortable. They don't let you feel comfortable. And he hasn't felt comfortable the entire series. Yeah, no, that's that's definitely true. You know, the pace was down again in this game. They played at the, the Maverick pace. They wouldn't have scored over 100 had it not been for a couple garbage Right, buckets. right, right. Yeah, no, the, the transition defense has been, you know, just swallowing and swallowing Phoenix. Yeah. And... It's been really impressive. I mentioned this after Game Three and on on the podcast, but you know the transition defense is is crucial here. You know, like not letting them run up the pace is is you know if if they if they do, I think Phoenix wins. Like in, any game that has a hundred possessions, um, the Mavericks had ninety three and uh, or sorry, Phoenix had ninety three and the Mavericks had ninety one. And you know any any game where those possessions start really adding up and going higher. Uh, Phoenix is going to be in position to win because that's their pace. That's how they want to play. Um, but the Mavericks being able to just, you know, dampen how fast uh, Phoenix is moving uh, by getting back. You know, it's, I, I don't think I, I think it's replicable what they're doing right now. Uh, they've done it all season. I right. think their transition defense is something that I have a lot of confidence in. Right, right, right. You know, when, when we say the Mavericks are the slowest team in the league. You're not the slowest team in the league if you have a bad transition defense. Yeah. I, I don't know. Like, they may not rank well, like, in points per possession or something like that. But they do succeed in just limiting transition, period. Yeah. Point blank. Like, maybe when they do allow it, they get scored on. But um, transition is naturally a high-efficiency possession because right. you're typically getting an open. Right. And, and it also stems from their low turnover team. Yeah. Which I know, like, you think of Luka and how much he turns. He's the only player on the team who turns it over. Yeah. Jalen Brunson set a record in the first round <laughs> for points versus That's still turnovers. Absurd. It's, it's pretty yeah. crazy. They don't, yeah. they don't turn the ball over. So, so because Aiton and Bridges are not, uh, you know, kind of producing – as you know, when when the Mavericks show and recover, you have a brief four on three opportunity. The Suns have this, but their role players are not doing things to force the Mavericks into some other scheme. And as a result, in Game Four, Doncic defended Booker and Paul four, five times, like like was was matched up against them per second spectrum five times. That's, that's like great. like not not allowed five shots. Only like five had times. five instances where he was the primary primary defender. On either of those players, it's for an entire game. It's smart basketball. The, right. the series is two-two because Max Kleber has played eight into a draw, and Dorian Finney-Smith has outplayed Mikhail Bridges. He has been the better player in this series. He has been more effective. He has been better on the offensive end and shot the ball better, and has honestly has defended the primary defender on the opposing team better than Bridges has. That is that is why this series is two-two. If yeah. you would have told me that like Dorian Finney-Smith is better than Mikhail Bridges and Mc, and Maxi Kleber is just neutral with with Aiton. 
I'm like, yeah, no, we. This is a this is a series the Mavericks can win, and right. whether that continues or not, I think what the adjustment that the Suns can make is making sure Aiton is featured, making sure that like he's stealing, yeah. he's fouling, they're they're swarming him at the rim. But it's and the same conversation everybody. we just had with Utah and Gobert, and I think Aiton can do it. Right. I think Gobert, Gobert, I'm like, yeah. I don't think you can Aiton. I'm like, he can absolutely punish all those big men, and if yeah, they you're really. Right. Feature him and make sure that he has space to post up or to just even just seal and get a quick turnaround bucket. He has the touch. He has a skill to punish them. But I don't think he's not accustomed to being featured in the offense and being a primary focus. And he's used to just screening and rolling and like and that being his just his general role. And they really need to feature him. They need to make sure right. that the Mavs are in foul trouble and that he's scoring baskets around the rim. Cause that's, that's really where the weak point is in their defense. Like we saw Maxie get in foul trouble last series twice. I think, yeah. right. He almost got in foul trouble today. Right, right, right. Like that, that has to be something that they're actively. And he offers a rebounder against them. Like also the Suns, that's one of their weak points. Also all seasons that they don't defensive rebound very well. And they've been susceptible to teams that offensive rebound. And typically that's not a skill that the Mavericks have done very well. They don't, they just kind of just concede offensive right. rebounds because they just want to get back in transition. But today, the offensive rebound and like hell, like they got a lot of crucial second chance points and they beat them on the boards. I thought in game three, so they did the same thing in game three, and I got I thought game three was uh, a little more skewed towards fortunate bounces. I thought this game was, was more skewed towards yeah. they are you know they're in the right positions, they are out, you know whether whether they're outward. I don't I don't want to say outworking. But because the Suns are are in scramble mode, there was an concerted effort. Yeah, because they've been put in the blender. Yeah, um, you know the Mavericks were in better positions to get boards, to get second chances, to to extend possessions. Um, in a way, you want to guess how many uh, mid range points Phoenix scored tonight? Ooh. Today, I'm gonna say twelve. Ten. Wow. Yeah. No, they they didn't hit. Yeah, uh, they honestly, I feel like they didn't shoot as many as they normally do. Yeah, I don't. I don't have the uh, the attempts number in front of me, and but I agree. It was more contested, but I feel like they did a good job of taking away Chris Paul's pet snake the pick and roll, get the right handed jumper. They weren't letting him have that, and right. then Devin Booker only got a few couple like pull up twos going to his left. But I think they did a good job of limiting Chris Paul and limiting Booker from the mid-range. Even though Booker had a great game. He played well. I think he was very aggressive. I, I, like, I genuinely enjoy his game so I much. genuinely enjoy his game, too. I, re- I, I really, Honestly, I really like the Suns. They're actually... Yeah. I really like watching them play. And people are, like, annoyed by Booker, like, what he does, like, around, like, you know, when the ball isn't in play or off the court. I, I haven't seen that. I if I was a Suns it. fan, I would love him. Like, if yeah. he was on our team, I'm like... It's fun. I'm like, yeah, like, I, I get being mad at him as being a Mavs fan and being like, oh, he's maybe just, like, you know, kind of standoffish, but I genuinely enjoy him. I would I would enjoy him on this team. He'd be great right. next to Luka. And you know what? Imagine you have a backcourt of Luka Doncic and Devin Booker. Man, do the Suns have an opportunity to do that? <laughs> uh, really hard to say, you know? It's hard, it's hard to say. It's, it's, no, it's No one could know. It, I mean, it was, it was, we don't have records that go that far back. We don't. Yeah. So uh, maybe we can get an archaeological, how do you say that? Fuck. <laughs> archaeology. Are we going to, are we going to do different geography in terms archaeology, again? archaeology, doctor. No more, no more geography terms in this, on this podcast. I've okay. been, I got flamed enough did you, <laughs> for the did last you just, time. Did you just compare archaeology to geography? Completely First of all, different. Any term that you start with, with an arc. 
Archipelago. You just couldn't. You just, you just okay, you say couldn't it. say it either. So it's not just me. I'm. I'm just saying we we got to stay away from any any sort of ground based terms. Okay, that's fair. <laughs> uh, okay, so you said uh, the Mavericks really limited what Chris wanted to do. Um, I think that's true. The other person who did that was Kane Fitzgerald. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about the refs. Like I I have I have thoughts, but. Uh, it's also a little bit weird from where I watch the games uh, at the scorer's table. Yeah, you're, you're close. You're watching it. I'm like. close. I don't have replays, um, or, or I do, but it's only when the Mavericks throw them on the big screen. I don't have uh, commentary. It's, you know, it's, 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 it's a different experience. It's very different watching a game in person than watching it from home. Like yeah. I, I, I went to game three and saw it in person, and I rewatched it at home. I was like, oh, right. I, I missed a bazillion things. You watched it. Wow, a real fan. I, I, just got, I got bored out one time at night. It was... Sometimes you want to see. You want we'll we'll call it bored because we live in Texas. Yeah. Um so I'm so I'm going to ask you as someone who watches on TV, was it enjoyable? The game was enjoyable, but the refs were very noticeable and yeah. I do not like any basketball game regardless of who the refs are favoring where I'm like I know who the ref I I I'm noticing the refereeing. I'm like this game is being refed. I think it's been very strange this postseason outside of this series across the NBA and the way that the referees have been refing playoff games. Typically, playoff games, you let things go and you let guys play. Like, to date? Like, I mean, I'm sure they were real, like, three-second calls, but there, the Suns got multiple three-second calls in the, the first quarter. Too. And I was like, I've never seen that. I don't think I've seen that literally all season, regardless of, like, playoffs or regular season. It's like they sent a mid-series season. email, like, points of emphasis email. Yeah. But, like, they didn't. Yeah. I, I can tell, like, I guess I can't tell you that. I haven't asked anybody, but that's not how the NBA operates. It's like this crew was like, oh, you know, like, like before this game, they are like, you know, We've been allowing four seconds too often. Three now. And I'm, I'm Only talk- three. The NBA honestly has a problem now because the referees are becoming so popular. I'm, this is, I don't have, I don't have. Popular is technically the right term. Yes. But it is, it is, a, it, it is not, a, it doesn't feel right. I don't have like, I don't have like data on this. And I, you know, I love to. They're becoming known. They're becoming known. I have my like random friends who are just casual and friends be like, yeah, do you think Scott Foster is going to ref Game Four? I'm like, dude, do you know who Scott Foster is? Like, like, and you know that he should ref Game Four so that we get an advantage. Like, I don't like like the casual NBA fan should be like, I want this ref to ref this game. That is that is very bad for the NBA product in general. And you know, it's funny. Like, I like I like engaging in ref banter, but like, it's not good for the product where people understand or have a. F- a framework where they see a refereeing crew and they know a game is being called. It's honestly, it's very funny. Callie Kaplan asked Jason Kitt a very funny question in the last, I don't know if it was pregame or postgame, but he was at, she asked him about, she asked him about, I was like, oh, like, I can't remember what referee it was. He was like, oh, like, are you concerned that um, this referee is, is, is playing this game? And, and Kate was like, yeah, no, I don't pay attention to the 8 a.m. Uh, uh, official call. And Callie was like, oh, so you know the official call is at, is at 8 a.m.? <laughs> I was like, I'm like, that is the entire problem. Everyone knows when things happen. And it was, it was honestly one of the most telling moments I've ever seen. I was like, she caught him in just like, you know what's going on here. And it's, you know, it's not like the end-all be-all, but it's not great for the general NBA product. Yeah. That's funny. That's that's really funny. I missed that moment. 
I I saw her tweet it out and I was and I saw that I was like, oh, that's very funny. That's that's really good. That's really good. It's it's um, uh, shout out shout out Callie, uh, the Dallas Morning News uh, Mavericks beat writer. She also um, asked something about Chris Paul to I believe it was Jalen Brunson and into the question with a uh, taste of his own medicine. Uh, which got Jalen Brunson to look back. I think it was Jalen. Um, got Jalen to look back and be like, "Did you say a taste of his own medicine?" <laughs> that was that was probably the best moment uh, from the from the post game uh, press conference uh, from Game Four. I I'm just frustrated. I'm just frustrated by the way that the referees are choosing to dictate uh, play. It, it's like you're allowed so much body contact until you're not. Until they yeah. decide to enforce it. Whereas you're not allowed to even brush somebody's head. It, it like almost to the point that NBA defenders should be incentivized to be sticking their head near the other player at any given point. That, that like there is no, I, I'm almost shocked that Devin Booker, he got reviewed for one. He got reviewed because he was, uh, he was in the post backing yeah. down Jalen Brunson. I saw that. And Jalen's like Jalen had his arm in front of where uh, Devin Booker was leaning back into him. And it looked like, to me, that Jalen's arm slipped um, or, or kind of moved aside. And Devin's arm just kind of righted up. And, and it did get him in the face. But I'm just like, have we forgot the term incidental contact? Have we forgot how we forget? Like, slow motion has ruined the concept of biometrics. Like, literally how people move. Yeah. Like the, the the Jordan Poole one is like the obvious example with with John Morant's injury, where if you watch it live speed, it's so goddamn obvious that like it is such a natural reaction. But slow mo is is just warping everybody's brains, including refs, when they replay this stuff. Uh, and I think the NBA, like I think the NBA watches slow mos, and they're like, oh well, we we can't have you know people going unpunished for how bad these slow mos look. Things don't look that bad in live speed. No, and I, it's funny because that he didn't get called for a flagrant on that foul, and I was like, great. I was like, that's. I was not surprised a he did. I was surprised he didn't because I was yeah. like, I was like, they, by the by the letter of the law, that should be a te- like a, a flagrant. I'm like, don't call that. That's not a good flagrant. Right. That's just a call foul. He hit him in the face. It was incidental, whatever. But it's not a flagrant. Even his his technical in the Devin Booker's technical in the first quarter was t- was terrible. I was like, I don't know why that was a technical. Like he. He followed through and like his oh yeah hand, that, that was like, really bad yeah, yeah yeah accidentally grazed uh, I think it was Jalen or someone that, that's kind of what face. I mean like yeah. like we forget that that's just how limbs move and I I honestly think that reviewing things for an, like a malicious act or the I can't remember the term but I think it's made the refereeing worse I think in the moment if you can't just assess that something flagrant happened. Let's just move on. And because for a long time, we just referee games, and there was lots of consistent, like, this game is a playoff game, we're letting y'all play. Or this game, we're calling things tight. And if, as long as there's consistency along the calls, it's like, hey, this is how we're calling this game, I think everyone is is in agreement with how the game is being called. I think what's been frustrating about these playoffs is that there have been games like, oh, they're calling it tight. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, now they're just letting things go. Or, like, I don't know how they're called. I don't know how the rhythm of this game is going. Like, if I'm playing this basketball game, I don't know if the refs are, like, letting me, like, guard this guy tight or if I can just, like, need to put, keep my hands off. And it feels like it changes quarter to quarter sometimes. Yeah, and that's the, the inconsistency is really the issue. Right. If you're going to call it one way, call it one way for the entire game. Right. For both teams. And I think 
that's been super inconsistent, and I think that has affected this series. It affects how people, it affects how players play. If you offer to any player, like all they want is consistency from the referee and crew, and knowing like, hey, I know like this is a foul. If I do this, you're gonna call this, and I know that that's gonna be a foul. But like, we just don't know what is and what isn't a foul. It's very frustrating to players, very frustrating to fans, coach. It's frustrating to everybody involved. And so I think that's one thing that needs to be a point of emphasis for the league. Because ultimately, referees are not supposed to be part of the game. A best, the best part of a refereeing crew is if I don't notice you the entire game. I don't think about you. I don't even consider, I, I don't know your name. The refereeing crews I love the most are the refereeing crews who I'm like, I see the, the list come out. I don't know any of your names. That was, that's that's literally you need to be invisible like you need to be invisible you're just you're shepherding a good NBA product and making sure something doesn't get out of hand and is just a good clean basketball game very brief sidebar before we get back to the game and close this out uh, I forget where I saw this idea but I saw the idea that we do away with referee triggered uh, reviews. And we go to more of an NFL style where the coaches have three or four challenges per I, game. I, some I I don't know what I I heard this as well. This is it's a good idea. I, I think it's a, I think it's a great idea. Um, it's it's the it's the one that kind of splits the medium of like yes, there does need to be instances that get reviewed, and yes, uh, you know it does it does genuinely help the product here and there. You don't want egregiously missed calls to affect games. But you also don't want the refs like the refs are okay. The refs are doing things wrong, but when they go to the monitor every time that they have an opportunity to, they're not doing anything wrong there because they're double checking their work in a way that is allowed for them to do. No other sport does that. Does the amount of referee triggered reviews as the NBA does. in the Maver- the, the the NBA has done this in the past six months. It feels like like yeah. la- even last season. Uh, flagrant reviews were not this common. Yeah, and I think I think coaches should have a challenge. If you win your challenge, you get to keep it. You win a I, second I think if, one. I think if you move to this, like you would need to give them multiple. But you get you get two challenges. You you can burn the first one. The second one, if you win it, you get to keep it for a third one, and then no other reviews. Maybe maybe like. I would because again we're we're having how many reviews a game now at this point like multiple there's there were like no, at least five average no yeah we're averaging five to ten yeah. per game it feels yeah like. yeah like so if you gave three to a coach even three per half that well not not per team you're right but you give two per half or you give four or you give three and if you win all three you get a fourth I, I don't know like again we're I, I think I think you just need to let human error play out and it's. That sometimes, like, do you want to be right or do you want to have a good relationship? Like, like, just like you just get to that point. It's like, do you, like, yeah, you can be right, but like, it's gonna, it's just gonna leave a bad taste in everyone's mouth, and you're gonna move forward, and it's not gonna be great. Yeah, yeah. And so, and and, then, and I think the reason that they haven't gone that route, like that they're they can't withstand human error, is I, I think a lot of it is sports gambling and just the the, the, the pure amount of money. Involved. The NFL has sports gambling, like. The NFL, you have two challenges, and that's it. They don't rev- yeah. and they review things under two minutes. And like, if you want to go back to reviewing things under two, honestly, I I don't want to go back to that. I would rather just like just let guys challenge things. And like, you know what? If you have a human error, you have human error. And yeah, then, like that's it. Anyway, let's get let's get back to this game, the series. Uh, just closing out here. Um, Dorian Finney-Smith, man. I know I know you have something 
I know I, you can talk about him. I, I love Dorian. Yeah. It's just, uh, he's one of my all-time favorite Mavericks. I honestly think that at some point, he might he might play enough games and do enough things with the Mavericks to the point where he gets his jersey retired for this, for this franchise. He's played, he's been there for six years, and he's just solid. He, he's just, he honestly, I think he does not get enough credit for his basketball IQ on the defensive end. He is a quarterback of their defense. He gets everyone involved. I can't even count the amount of screenshots I've seen where people were like, Dorian is pushing this guy into literally shoving somebody into the correct defensive position. Oh, that's because, one of my favorite things. That's that's been one of my favorite things for years. Yeah, it, and he's like, I, I'm going to make sure the defense is good. And I think that's one thing about game two that was like an underrated thing is that he only played 20 minutes because he was in foul trouble. And he runs the defense. He makes sure they're organized. He defends the best player. He's going to be a guy who is perennial all defense from this moment forward, I think, now that he's doing it on a very big stage. And then he just hits threes. And not only does he hit... Well, honestly, he, yeah, eight of them. He hit eight threes, and like his eight threes were amazing, and I was like, that was great. But the best play I thought he made tonight, he, he had hit like six or seven threes at this point. He caught the ball, pump faked somebody, went into the lane. He made a, like a no-look pass to Jalen, who got a layup in the lane. And I was like... That that's next level from a three and D player. I'm like Mikhail Burgess isn't playing, making that play. He's not he's not pump faking somebody and going to the lane and get and handing it off to Chris Paul to get a layup. Like that's Mikhail actually can do that and he has in the series. Yeah, and that's why Dorian Finney Smith has outplayed him. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he's yeah. just that's why he's outplayed him. Like and yeah. Dorian now knows how to not only just knock down the three, but to like when he's hot, how to get into the lane and make a play for somebody else. And that is really what I've been super impressed with him. Honestly, and that's another like credit to Jason Kidd in that he's given all these role players so much leash all season. They're like, hey, I need you to know how to make this play. The season started with the Dorian Finney-Smith post-up. It did. And in, in, in all seriousness, I think that giving him that leash and letting yeah. Dorian... Well, Dorian might still tell you he can post up. But you give players leash and you let them do stuff. And find and, out how they... like. And 20 games in, 30 games in, 40 games in, they, they started doing the stuff that they were good at. Yeah. And it started not doing the stuff they weren't. And it turns out, you know, it's such a funny example that the, the Finney's, like, literally, the season starting on a Finney Smith post up. Um, it's great. It's just like Maxi last game pump faked and dribbled and took a, like, a pull up two that was drifting and, and made it. He took it, he pump faked and then drove and got a driving dunk. I was like, I have never seen you do either of those things. I've watched you for four or five years. I've never seen you do any one of those things. And you did that in a tight playoff game when the, in the, where the stakes are the highest. Yeah. And I'm like, that's good coaching. That's a coach that has allowed you to like have freedom and who has allowed you to like explore your game throughout the regular season so that when the stakes are the highest and you need that to happen and you need other actions, that you can do it and you know that you can do it. It's... It's very, very good long-term coaching. I think we've discussed that all season long where like, the right. kid is like, I'm going to play for the playoffs. And like, at some point, you're going to have to figure out how to do this. One game in the playoffs, Luke is going to go one for 10 from three. not going to make anything. And you guys are going to have to win. And that's why I go back to this kid just being a great coach for this team. Just, it's, it's been very impressive. Let me rattle off a few final quick thoughts. Um, the minute totals are back within reason. Like, like, I think that's important for the long term, especially with the games coming every other day. Uh, nobody played more than 40 minutes. Uh, 
uh, Bullock had 39 minutes. Uh, you know, they, they subbed out with a minute to go. A minute to go. Like, the minute totals being back in order, I, I think that's that's you, a really good you, thing. You know why the minutes are back in, in order? Frank Nilkina? Exactly. That was, that was also a quick note I wanted to make. You know, we talked about that, I, you know, being what we believe would probably be a, a, a beneficial thing for the Mavericks to do, and Jason Kidd did that. Um, I thought that was good. Uh, I also want to say for, for Phoenix, um, kind of think that they should go Biombo over McGee the rest of the series. I think they should oh, really. Oh, really? Can, can, you, can you expand on why you think Biombo? I'm generally interested. I think McGee should probably play with Biombo. I think Biombo's moving his feet a little bit better, and I think that they are putting too many targets, defensive targets for the Mavericks on the court. And I think McGee's been really bad at that. I think uh-huh. he's been really, really a target. I'm not saying Bion was great at that, but from what I saw and from what I've, what I've seen the series, again, he's not anything close to Bam Adebayo or anything like that, but he's moving his feet just a little more effectively uh, than McGee. And I don't care that he's an offensive downgrade. Um, although, like, he is and he isn't because JaVale will just throw away possessions doing weird stuff. Um do you, I, do you know how Torrey Craig got hurt? Because I saw he was in street clothes the last two games, and I don't remember how he got hurt. And uh, I was the like, ESPN box score says right elbow. Yeah, that's all. I, I saw it right elbow, and I saw him. He was in street. I was like looking at somebody who was in street. I was like, who's that? I was like, oh, it's it's Torrey Craig. It's an elbow contusion. Because I think that would also be a good option for them to just like I occasionally agree. go. We're just gonna go small at the five and play five out. Yeah, I, I think I think you're right with that. I mean, if Aiton isn't big, if he doesn't play big, if he isn't effective as a big man, yeah, um, we're getting to this almost the same conversation as Utah. Again, I think it's different because I think Aiton can be different, and I think Phoenix is better equipped to get him going. But they need like, Sarge. If, they do need Sarge. You're not you're not wrong. Um, but if like Aiton's gonna play like he did again, it's weird. He scored 14 on seven of 12. Uh, it just it didn't feel like he was effective. Like, like his five misses felt enormous. Uh, and the seven he had did not feel like... It was not a byproduct of him punishing the way the Mavericks are allowing some size disadvantages in the paint to allow them... You know, they're, they're conceding size mismatches. And, and that allows them to swirl around as much as they did. Once again, only allowed 25 threes. At one point, almost halfway through the second quarter, they had allowed six threes. Yeah, no, they're not Just, getting threes. I think the Mavericks yeah. made as many threes as almost they shot. Like, it's pretty crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 25, so so 20 to 25. Not, not quite, but close. If you're getting to, we made as many threes as you shot, that's a recipe to win games in the playoffs. Okay, so I, if, if I'm the Suns, adjustment is... is I. I think I tried Biombo over McGee. I think that I—I uh, I don't know if I play campaign. He's been atrocious, and he's bad defensively. He like, had to play so much in this game. Yeah, only 16 minutes it ended up being because like they took him out. They—they they made Devin Booker, Booker play point guard. Yeah, yeah, he played fourth. Point. Yeah, yeah, like pretty much the entire. He didn't sub out in the second half up until the very they don't end. have another guard. And I guess they don't trust Aaron Holiday. I have honestly have not watched Aaron Holiday. I can't tell you. If Aaron yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm gonna be honest. I can't. Like, <laughs> um, but you know, the big the biggest adjustment is Chris Paul. Just yeah. like actually having him on the court Chris and Paul being, being effective go- and being good. Right. If you only have two playmakers, you only have two point guards. Yeah. Like, like guys who can actually orchestrate. I mean, Booker can do it, but yeah. you know he's not. It's it's Paul and yeah. it's, it's Chris Paul and, and that's honestly, how good Chris Paul is that they don't have another true point guard on their roster. 
They really like, I don't, don't really consider campaign a, a true point guard in, in a way that it's like, you know, I mean, I, I guess I guess campaign isn't that much different than in terms of just distribution, making passes ability than like Spencer Dinwiddie. Um, but they but would yeah. kill for Spencer Dinwiddie right now. Oh, yeah. He would be playing way more minutes. Campaign would not be playing. Yeah. Campaign has been, he's honestly been atrocious. I've seen, I've been looking at Sun Twitter and they're like, did, did campaign to get monstered? Like what? What happened to? Cam- he's just he's been bad in every game, even the games that they won. He's not been good. Well, this is one of the longest episodes we've recorded in months, literal months. This um, is the biggest Mavs win in, in over twelve years. So I guess we gotta we gotta we gotta record. Hey, we did this for the mothers. We did this for the mothers. There are so many mothers out here. If you're a mother, shout out to you. Shout out to you. Shout and out if you're not a mother, um. Go away. Shout, shout out to Sue. You shout suck. out to Jane. Shout out to, to, to Sue and Jane. Susan. Susan. Susan and Jane. Well, she goes by Sue. But I just, I like, I like doing proper terms. So Shout out to Susan. Shout out to Jane. Absolutely. Uh, you got any, uh, any final, final sentence for us? I, I think this is my favorite point in a good playoff series where I'm like, everyone has made the adjustments that they can make. And now we're just playing basketball. It's like, who plays better? In game five, I don't really know. I can't make a prediction. I can't tell you who's going to win. It's just who's, who's just, who just is going to play better basketball. There are no more really adjustments to make. There's no more. You can't start somebody. You can't sub someone. It's just, are you going to play better basketball on the other team? You guys are pretty equally matched. And it's going to be very fun. It's going to be very, very enjoyable basketball. And it's a privilege to have this amount of enjoyable basketball. That's going to take us home. Thanks for listening. See ya. He plays Fortnite just like me. I am 34. Don't fight the future, honey. Don't fight the future. The future is Luca. Big Dick Donchich from the home of Melania Trump. How many kids you hit? Don't fight the Future. It tears me apart. Don't fight the future. Please be nice to Luca. Future four time MVP. Oh my god! Oh! Shut it down! Let's go home! It's a wrap, huh? Man, that is a wrap. Woo!